Today on Blue 58, as we edge ever closer to the start of training camp, we're seeing more and more new stuff come out about the Packers, but it looks a lot like stuff we've seen in the past. Why is that? Let's explain and explore that phenomenon. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here yet again. Feels like a long time since we've last spoken. It's only been a few days, of course, but maybe that's just because of how many things are happening with the Packers. Relatively speaking, of course, this is still, I suppose technically the offseason. It doesn't quite feel like the offseason with OTAs going on, but we are seeing an uptick in stuff happening. Actual football type things. Today, Tuesday, you're listening to this Wednesday or later, um, there was actual Packers football happening. An open practice in June in Green Bay. Absolutely phenomenal. And corresponding with that, of course, is a lot of media coverage. And a lot of that media coverage, well, it's a bit of a stretch. Because as much as the uh, real football is actually happening... There's not a lot of substance to what's going on. They can't practice in pads. There's no contact going on. We're not playing against any other teams. So what you can extract out of these practices is relatively limited. And I think that's fair to say. But you still need to write about these guys. You still need to write about the new team. So what do you do? Well, you come up with ways to write about guys on the team that aren't necessarily dependent on the guys themselves. So you end up telling kind of the same stories that you tell each and every year. I think there are six major categories for these kinds of stories. And rather than kind of dole them out over the next few weeks and I guess a little over a month before training camps actually starts, I figure we should just take them all and do them kind of all at once. Everybody's kind of obligated to do these stories because they are you know, ways that you can explore the team a little bit, but they're just kind of boring all on their own. But all at once, it gives us a chance to talk about a whole bunch of guys. So we'll talk first about the categories, then talk about the guys that I think fall into those categories. First, one of my favorite story categories that you see every year at this time on every single team in the NFL. A guy who's showing up for training camp in the best shape of his life. BSOHL. This year, we've got two entries into this storyline, Blake Martinez and Aaron Jones. Both of them have had extensive write-ups on their new diets, their new training techniques, and how they think being in better shape is going to help them throughout this upcoming NFL season. And good for them, but color me a little bit skeptical about how much it's really going to help. I'm sure it can help a little bit, but just the fact that we're seeing the storyline each and every year makes you wonder why everybody doesn't come into training camp even in better shape than they've ever been. Wouldn't that be the goal? It kind of seems like that's something you should probably be working on if you're a professional athlete. And I think pretty much everybody is, but every year a couple guys get singled out as being in the best possible shape ever. I do think this can be an interesting story because I think training methods are really interesting. Unfortunately, I don't think we got terribly interesting versions of that story this year in Green Bay. Nobody tried some wacky new training method. Nobody went with some extreme new diet. It was all pretty much standard stuff. On top of it, you've got Mr. Play It Straight Down the Middle, Blake Martinez, and relatively soft-spoken Aaron Jones telling these stories, you know, through reporters. It's not going to be the most outlandish guys. If you had, say... 
oh, Mike Daniels deciding, you know, this offseason he's going to become a pescatarian or something unusual like that, unusual for Mike Daniels, and he goes to extreme lengths to only eat fish all offseason. I don't know. I'm making this up off the top of my head. That would be an interesting story because Mike Daniels, I think, is a little bit more of an interesting guy, but we still end up seeing these stories each and every year because somebody ends up doing this every year. As far as actual football-related storylines, another of my favorites is this one. The young guy who didn't play much last year, but might be good this year if they get to play a little bit more. I think there's two versions of this storyline. There's first the guy who was good in just a few snaps last year. So maybe if you play him a lot of snaps, he could be even better. And you see a lot of stories kind of in that vein. Raven Green is this year's winner in that category for the Packers. I saw a story earlier this week on Cheesehead TV, and I'm not dunking on them. I think it's just a headline issue. They probably should have thought through the headline a little bit better, but the the, the title of the piece is, Who is Raven Green? Maybe even, who, who the heck is Raven Green? The body of the piece was better than that. Basically saying, for those of you who don't know who Raven Green is, here's how he can contribute this year. That's, I think, a fair perspective. The vein of the storyline overall, though, is, hey, this guy was pretty good in the past. Maybe if you played him a lot more, he'll be really good, which might work. Also might not. There also might be a reason that he didn't play a whole lot. Kind of also in this vein, and I think they're going to fall in a bunch of different categories that apply to younger players, but Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Equinemia St. Brown both are kind of going to kind of get this treatment this year. They're going to be in a lot of stuff talking about the second-year leap. And things along those lines. But they also fall into that category of guys who played a little last year. And maybe if they play a lot, they'll be super good. There's also, along these lines, uh, the second category. The guy who didn't play a whole lot last year because he was bad. But maybe if we play him a lot this year, he'll be good. Yeah, kind of like reverse psychology. You know, you start really thinking about it. Maybe it was just that he needed to play more and figure out how to not be bad. Because then be good then the Packers will be good why didn't they think of that I don't know but good thing we're bringing it up because now they'll know about it I think a guy that falls into this category is Oren Burks a lot of people talk about how Oren Burks could have a big year this year maybe he will Uh, but I think the way that we have been talking about him right now is yep he was disappointing last year but maybe this year he'll get an opportunity to play a little bit more and he'll be even better The third category I'd like to talk about applies pretty much exclusively to veterans. And this got to be, these these veterans have to be guys that have been around for a while. And the storyline that you see every year about this time concerning veterans who have been around for a while is that they want to still prove that they can do it. You know, so-and-so wants to prove that even at 32, he's still among the elite players in the NFL. Jimmy Graham was almost in this category, but I think he falls into a different one as well. Uh, Mike Daniels is the defensive player, I think, who has been brought up again and again and again as a guy who wants to prove that actually he is still a good player. Is he still a good player? I guess we'll just have to wait and find out, but he sure as heck wants to prove that he can still get it done. A lot of pieces like this popped up around the idea or around the time that the idea of Mike Daniels being traded kind of came up fairly regularly early this offseason. I want to see it first 
from Mike Daniels. And I'm not sure. Well, let, let's talk about Mike Daniels for a second, because I think Mike Daniels is still a useful player. I'm not sure he's still an elite player, but I'm not sure the Packers really need him to be anymore. The depth on their defensive line is, I think, intriguing. And the kind of body types that they've got in their front seven as a whole are intriguing. Mike Daniels, the gist of Tom Silverstein's piece, exploring whether or not they should trade him, kind of got to the idea that he is a bit of an outlier among the guys they have in their front seven. He's a little bit shorter and a little bit lighter than a lot of the other front seven type players. The Packers have really tended towards these long, super athletic guys the last few years. Even Tyler Lancaster, though he's built like a polar bear, is pretty athletic. His testing numbers at Northwestern's Pro Day were phenomenal. And we even talked about that a little after last year's draft, how he was going to be a guy to watch just because of his athletic profile and kind of just because of the length of his arms. Mike Daniels doesn't really have that. He never really had those astonishing physical attributes. He's a little bit short. He's a little bit light for a defensive lineman. And he was never like a jaw-dropping athlete. Where he got it done was, you know, technique and drive. And that wrestling background certainly helped. But now, heading into the later years of his career, he's got to prove that he can still do it. And there's a bit of an uphill road for him. I think the Packers getting more depth on their defensive line can only help Mike Daniels, but because I think you saw him wear down a little bit over the last couple of years just by having to play a while, uh, huge amounts of snaps, especially early in the season. Last year, he had to play a ton of snaps early in the season, and that just proved to be unsustainable. And I think it, it's not a, the best idea to have one or two defensive linemen playing the amount of snaps that he and Kenny Clark were. So adding talent around Mike Daniels could help Mike Daniels continue to prove that he can get it done at an NFL level. On offense, we're in the third or fourth year of Brian Bulaga having to be the victim or subject, I guess I should say, of this particular storyline. Look, Brian Bulaga is good. And if he's on the field for 12 games a year, I think your money's well spent. Because when he is on the field, he's at the very least an above average right tackle. And he can never have too many good linemen. Sure, if you're only getting him for 11, 12 games a year, you're paying maybe a little bit more than you might like. But assuming he stays healthy, assuming he can give you most of a season, there's really no reason to move on at all just because he's that good. And he's, you know, I think at peace with what he is as an NFL player. He did a great interview earlier this offseason with Michael Cohen of The Athletic, a really interesting, thoughtful guy. Apparently a pretty good golfer, too. Um, seems pretty comfortable with the kind of kind of player that he is. And as he's told Cohen, uh, he is coming off an offseason where he didn't have to have surgery for the first time in quite a while. That's a pretty good place to be, especially if you're heading uh, towards those 30-plus years. The fourth storyline I'd like to talk about is younger veterans who are still wondering whether or not they may be good or whether or not they could ever be good. You get this with guys that are in their third or fourth year, and you're starting to wonder, did we waste a draft pick on this guy? Did the Packers make a bad decision here? And could this guy ever turn out to actually be any good? Josh Jones would have fallen into this category had he not gone completely off the map the last couple weeks with uh, what's going on with him. 
interesting to see what happens with that over the next month or so. Kind of think the the trade is not super likely, but we'll see. Um, but instead, we are left with another perennial entry into this category. He's kind of the younger version of Brian Bulaga. It's Jason Spriggs. I was super high on Jason Spriggs when he was drafted. I thought he was going to be a good player. Uh, he was going to be their swing tackle. I could see why they traded up for him. It has not worked out. And I think it's fair to wonder at this point whether or not he's going to actually ever be good. But that's why these pieces get written about guys like him. And I bet within the relatively near future, you're going to see something about how it's now or never for Jason Spriggs. And you'll get a quote from Jason Spriggs about how you know he realizes the stakes heading into this, his fourth season. He spent all this offseason working on his strength training. He feels like he's added a few pounds, and he feels like his technique is better than ever. Then you'll get another quote from like the offensive line coach saying, yep, we're really excited about what he could bring to the scheme, but he's got to prove that he can do it, and he's got to prove that he can be consistent. Something along those lines. And then we'll see if he can actually do it on the field. And of course, this piece will come out before any preseason games or really probably even practice actually happens. So we'll have all the speculation with no actual football to back it up, and then we'll just fall back in the same stuff we've come to believe about Jason Spriggs in the past. It happens. Fifth storyline or story category that I think you see every year is the redemption storyline. And we've gotten a hefty dose of this with the Packers this year. First as a whole, just the team has been in full-on redemption mode ever since I think probably Mike McCarthy was fired. They've kind of been saying, well, we got to start working back. Got to got to get back to where we were, being one of the elite teams, elite programs in the NFL. But on a player level, there's two guys both on offense that I think uh, you're going to see a lot about in this category. We saw a lot already this offseason with Jamon Moore, the Packers' fourth-round pick from a year ago putting up some great workout videos from the offseason. Now he's talking a lot about how he wants to take a step going into year two, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. He's got to prove uh, that he can get back to where he thinks he can be. A redemption story. Jimmy Graham also falls into this category. I think you could have him in that vets who want to show that they're still good category had he not been bad last year or been at least perceived to have been bad. And just this week already, we've seen the Jimmy Graham version of this story. He's talking about how he still has a lot that he thinks he can offer, how he's, he's the sky's the limit for him in this uh, this new offense, blah, blah, blah. And maybe all that's true. But right now, the storyline is all we've got to go on. Jimmy Graham saying, yep, I can be better. People saying, well, it's only going to be a matter of time. We've got to wait and see. Well, that's all we've got to do at this time of year. Just wait and see. There's nothing else to do because there's no actual football happening. Finally, this one is a bit of a stretch, I think, every year. But finally, I would like to talk about the roster sleepers. Roster sleepers, I think, are different from guys who kind of fell into the didn't play a whole lot last year, but maybe they'll be good if they'll play more this year. Because... They're guys that may not have necessarily shown anything at all, or they're guys that have just been completely overlooked, even though that they, they've played a, a fair amount. And the two, I think, that fall into that category this year that you'll, you'll hear about are Dexter Williams and Tony Brown. Williams, the Packers' new drafted running back out of Notre Dame, and Brown, the now second-year cornerback, who is, I guess, like, third or fourth on the depth chart, depending where you put him in regard to Tremont Williams 
and Josh Jackson, who could actually both kind of end up a little bit at safety. He's higher than probably most people would have thought a year ago. Williams, I think, is going to fall or get pressed as a, a sleeper candidate on the roster. Uh, just because of the position he plays, there's a, a real opportunity for rookies to contribute at running back. And, you know, being a draft pick, he's probably got a better shot than most to make the roster and make an impact this year. On top of that, he seems to fit really well with the, the scheme. There was a lot of talk about how he ran a similar scheme in college. And getting the opportunity to do that again could be just the opportunity for him um, to really break out as a rookie. Tony Brown, meanwhile, I think was kind of taken as a taken a little bit for granted last year. That's not quite the right way to put it, but I don't really know how to describe the perception of how I think he's my perception of how I think Tony Brown is perceived. I think Brown a little bit last year was a victim of people seeing young defensive backs like 2015 through 2017 get exposed in the Packers defense just because they didn't have anybody else around them. So think about guys like Ladarius Gunter or Quentin Rollins, maybe even Demarius Randall to an extent. These guys were not expected to play huge roles, but they got thrown into the fire and they weren't super great. Tony Brown did get thrown in the fire a little bit last year, and he probably played more snaps on defense, even though he didn't play just a ton. He played more snaps than I think we would have expected him to really play. Kind of had him pegged as mostly a special teams guy last year. But he, though he wasn't bad, he also wasn't super great. And I think people have kind of put him in the the box of a guy like Ladarius Gunter. I think that's a mistake because I think just athletically alone, he's an entirely different kind of player than Ladarius Gunter was. And that makes him, I think, in my eyes, a little bit of a sleeper. And that's going to be another story category that you see pop up this year. So there you have it. The six storylines you're going to see a whole bunch of in the next month or so. All worthwhile, all a little bit difficult, I think, to talk about on their own. So good that we talk about them all at once. While I've got you here, interesting news. I want to get a little bit ahead of this before it is the the talk of tomorrow. It looks like the Packers game in Canada is going to be confirmed on Wednesday. I know that we've had a couple listeners ask about this. It's been an odd saga, hasn't it? Um, Because it seemed like all but a foregone conclusion that it was going to happen. It was, I think Mark Murphy even said something about it publicly. Then he kind of walked it back because they weren't sure. Then there was some Canadian media that was like, yeah, I think this is going to happen. Then nobody really said anything about that. And now it looks like something at least is going to get announced. The Winnipeg the Winnipeg Blue Bombers put out a news release uh, Tuesday afternoon saying that they are scheduling a big event, media announcement, for Wednesday afternoon. Uh, they say they would like to advise the media of a major sporting event announcement. And the conclusion of that appears to be that it's going to be the Packers and Raiders preseason game in Winnipeg. I think this is just phenomenal. I think um, anything you can do to add a little bit of a wrinkle to the preseason is excellent. I think this is great for the fans in Canada who wouldn't necessarily have an opportunity to see something like this. And I think it's great for the Canadian Football League, too, because... Canadian football is the weirdest, most interesting version of football. I think among 
the varieties of football that you can see um, in North America. I guess there's really three, four, if you differentiate between uh, the NFL and uh, college football. I think if there's any that deserves more press, it's probably the Canadian Football League. And I wish I had more time to really sit down and figure out some of the some more stuff about the league or some more ways to to follow it closely because there is a lot of interesting history in the Canadian Football League, a lot of really great legacies for these teams. It's just pretty cool stuff. So I think a, a partnership or an opportunity for some crossover like this between the NFL and at, at the very least uh, CFL City is pretty cool. So if you've been watching for that, it looks like that's going to happen and it may even have happened by the time you listen to this episode. Pretty cool stuff. And as we get closer to real, actual football, just another tantalizing glimpse of the season to come. That's all I've got for you on this episode. Thanks so much for taking the time to download, to listen, to subscribe, to rate. All of those things, of course, help the show. And if you do want to support the show, leaving a rating and a review is the best way to do that. And don't forget to subscribe to make sure you get all the latest episodes. If you want to take your support to the next level, uh, leave us a donation at patreon.com slash thepowersweep. One dollar a month helps offset a lot of our costs for this show and our site. And if you want to take that support even a little bit further, consider buying one of our great t-shirts or sweatshirts by clicking the shop link at thepowersweep.com. Never hesitate to reach out however you choose to be that social media or email or just the contact page at thepowersweep.com because every bit of feedback, every thought, every question you give us helps us make this entire operation better. And that, of course, helps us continue our mission of helping everybody become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I've been your host, John Meerdink. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.